not that hard. I feel like I need to pray again. <laughs> oh, Father in heaven, um, these words are my offering to you, Father, but they also are my offering to your church. And I would ask you that, that your spirit guide me, not just with the words, not just with each word that's spoken, but that your spirit would put power behind the words. And I pray, Father, for each person sitting in a chair that their hearts would be open to you, that they would be malleable and moldable, and that each of us, myself included, would be prepared to hear from you and prepared to let you uh, remake us and shape us and grow us in this time. Uh, I know that's why you brought us here, Father. So I pray with great expectations. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a question to ask you, and I, I don't want you to give me a show of hands, but I want you to think the answer in your head. How many of you have prayed this week? How, again, no show of hands, but just, uh, I, you weren't listening already, were you? <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't want to out anyone that didn't pray this week. So, so just in your mind, answer the question, how many of you prayed this week? And I bet most all of you have. But let me widen it some more time frame wise. How many of you have prayed in the last two months, which encompasses the, the Harvey hurricane? I bet everyone in this room has prayed in the, in the last two months. It seems that this uh, desire to lean into prayer is almost hardwired into the human spirit. Did you know that, that every culture of every era we've ever studied has had a, at least a thread of religion and prayer in it? Every single culture has had that. Again, it seems like God has just hardwired us. The Swiss theologian Karl Barth once said that, that this is our incurable God disease. By that, he was meaning that, that we know there's something amiss, there's something wrong, there's something ill about us until we deeply connect with the God of the universe. It's like it's hardwired into us. So I'm going to teach about prayer today. But before I do, I want to give you some context within this series. This is the blueprint series. This is about the, the blueprint or the means in which God is building this church. But it also is a blueprint for how God would have every follower of Jesus build their life. And so we're walking through this, and, and I want to give you some context if this is your church home, because you probably hear us talk about our mission, about introducing people to Jesus, so on. You hear us, you, you see shirts around you that say, restore, refuel, return, and, and you, now you're going to hear about VIPs, and you wonder how it may fit. So let me help you put that together. It, it begins with the mission of the church. The mission of this church is to introduce people to Jesus Christ and help them become fully devoted followers of him. To help everyone we encounter come, come to encounter Jesus, come to a point of faith, and make progress in becoming fully devoted followers. That's our mission. That's why we exist. But, but the method that we carry that out under, the method that we use to carry that out is represented by this acronym VIPS, VIPs. And I'll give you what those are in a moment. But the method is something that if this is your church home, by the time this series is done, you need to commit this method to memory. It's not just the method by which God's building the church. It's the method by which he wants to build your life. It's, uh, it's what you look at and compare your life to. And if, if you see something's amiss, you go back and you look at this, at the VIPS. You look at that and see what may be amiss, what may be missing there. So there's a mission, there's a method, and then the results 
are, is the restore, refuel, return. The results when we live out VIPS is that we and others, when we're broken and wounded, we're restored by God. When we are empty and depleted, when we live out this method, the VIPS, it's how we and others are refueled by God. And then finally, when we're restored and refueled, then God returns us when we live this out to live our life with, with Jesus at the very center of it. So that's the, the VIPS mission method results. So the VIPs, again, these are the things you need to commit to memory if this is your church home. The V stands for vibrant community life. Vibrant community life. What we're doing right now is a key part of that. We talked about how when the local church gathers, that God said he will show himself and reveal himself in ways that he likely won't any other place or time. Like this is the local church gathered. This is, this is part of this vibrant community life. And in this time, we hear from him and we worship him. And then last week, Ron Acosta had this profound message about another part of community life. It's, it's this small group. It's a smaller setting that's more intimate that God uses. If you missed last week, you, you must hear his message, profoundly done. There's this vibrant community life. The I stands for intimate devotion life. Intimate devotion life. This is, this is your life just between you and God. This is a part of your life where there's nobody else usually, but it's just between you and God. And I'll be teaching about part of that today about prayer and teaching on that. The P stands for passionate serving life. Passionate serving life. We're created by God to serve. We'll teach on that. And then the S stands for special events. It stands for those special times that God puts you in a place that takes you to a mountaintop, a place you would never get just the day in, day out, week in, week out, but a special place that would take you to a mountaintop. So, so that's the context, and I'll be teaching about this intimate devotion life and prayer. To give you a definition, if you're wondering what I mean by prayer, prayer is conversation with God. It's as simple as that. Prayer is conversation with God. As we're going through life, God invites us to talk it out with him, to talk out life with him. It's, it's conversation with God. So I have two crucial questions to ask you about prayer. The first is this. Do you know how much God longs for you to pray? Do you know how much God longs for you to pray? If you know who he is, And if you understand why he created you, then you'll understand why he longs for you to pray. Uh, Just a basic theology about God. Scripture says that there is just one God. There is one God, but in the mystery of God, there are three persons. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so they've been in, in this relationship from eternity past, Father, Son, and Spirit. They've been in this relationship. I, I call it the fellowship of the Trinity. And Tim Keller in his book titled Prayer does a great job of talking about what that fellowship looks like. He says, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are adoring one another, giving glorifying love to one another, and delighting in one another. We know of no joy higher than being loved and loving in return, but a triune God would know that love and joy in unimaginable infinite dimensions. God is therefore infinitely, profoundly happy, filled with perfect joy. Not some abstract tranquility, but the fierce happiness of dynamic, loving relationships. 
Father, Son, and Spirit continually, without ceasing, pouring out perfect love on one another and continually, without ceasing, receiving perfect love from the others. Ponder with me a time in your life where you were loved well and a time that you loved well in return. I'm sure there's been a time, I hope it's even now, but everyone here, I'm sure there's been a time you can think, I think I was, I was loved well then, or, and I loved well in return. Wasn't that the, the sweetest time of life? When you think about that time, don't you have this sense that that's the way life is meant to be? And Keller is saying quite appropriately, Father, Son, and Spirit have known unbroken, perfect love, and they have poured out in an unbroken fashion, perfect love from eternity past. And he's saying appropriately, he says, he says that there's this unimaginable, infinite dimension of joy and happiness that the Father has and the Son has and the Spirit has. So God has had from eternity past, he's, he's, had, he's had it all. He's had perfection. He's, he's been wanting for nothing. So why would he create you? And why would he create me? Tim Keller goes on to say this. The only reason God would have had for creating us was not to get the cosmic love and joy of relationship because he already had that, but to share it. Profoundly, he didn't create us to get love from us. He already had, he already had infinitely love poured out in the, in the fellowship of the Trinity. He created us in order to share that love with us, to invite us in, if you will, into the fellowship of the Trinity. Now, of course, there's this massive problem of sin. It's been, it's been perfect, Father, Son, and Spirit, and you and I are sinners, and if we're invited into the Trinity, then we would ruin what's been perfect all this time, and so there's this massive problem of our sin, which is why... Jesus endured death on the cross to pay for my sin and your sin. And when you and I place our faith in Jesus, then he forgives every sin, every sin, and he opens the door to the fellowship of the Trinity. He invites us in. In fact, that fellowship begins. He talks about this adoption of being, becoming sons and daughters. There's this massive problem of sin, and Jesus has met that problem with, the, with his own life. When we trust him, then every single sin is forgiven. And he begins a process of making us increasingly like him. And the moment we breathe our last and step into heaven, we will be just like him in character. The moment you begin to trust him, you've entered into the fellowship of the Trinity. In Hebrews 10, 19 to 22, It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, he's writing to those who have trusted Christ. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. By the way, most of us here end our prayers with the phrase, in Jesus' name. Is that true for you? That you will pray and you'll maybe end it by saying, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And it's important, this is kind of a side note, but it's important to understand where that tradition began. Somewhere along the way, Christ followers began to think about, fresh again, the privilege of praying to God. 
the privilege of having the wall blown down and, and to be part of the fellowship of the Trinity. And they began to reflect upon that. They found this simple three-word phrase that would say it all in Jesus' name because in biblical times, a name wasn't simply Bob or Joe or Susie or Jill. In biblical times, when you talked about someone's name, you, you were referring to everything that they were and everything that they had done. If you talk about someone's name, you're talking about the fullness of their character and personhood, the fullness of their actions. And so when these Christ followers back long ago began to end their prayers by saying, in Jesus' name, it was packed with power. They were saying, it's, it's because Jesus died for my sins. It's because when I trusted him, I've been forgiven of all sin. It's because of that that he blew the doors wide open, that I'm part of this fellowship of Father, Son, and Spirit. Because of this, I can pray. All of that's wrapped up in them saying, in Jesus' name. They were saying, this is, this is the only way this happens by the love and grace of Jesus, is death on the cross. And then it would often spin them back into more prayer again. Just the wonder and the gratitude of that. So, so why, why did God create you? It was to invite you into the fellowship of the Trinity. And, and when you trust Jesus to forgive your sins and lead your life, you've entered into that fellowship. And the fellowship is, it's all about relationships, isn't it? Father, Son, and Spirit, perfect love poured out on each other. Continue. It's all about relationships. And relationships grow through words and actions, don't they? Relationships grow through words and actions. Think about your relationships. Maybe you have a close friend. Doesn't the relationship grow by the words you speak and the words they speak? And some, sometimes by the words you don't speak and they don't speak. Doesn't the relationship grow by your actions and their actions or the lack thereof? Relationships grow by words and actions. And words, when they're spoken to God, are prayer, aren't they? In prayer's conversation with God, this is how the relationship grows. This, this is the profound truth. God is longing for you to pray. He's longing for you to have conversation with him frequently and often. He's longing to, to grow the relationship, for you to know him better, for you to reveal more, more of yourself, open up more of yourself that he already knows, but, but be, you know, come clean with hopes and dreams and thoughts and failures to come clean with him and talk with him. He's longing for you to meet him in prayer. How would it affect your prayer life if you knew that? If you knew it in whatever condition your life was in, how would it affect your prayer? If you knew it in your worst sin, how would it affect your prayer? If you knew it in your deepest doubt, how would it affect your prayers? Would it impact the frequency with which you would turn to him? Would it impact the expectancy with which you turn to him? Whether you know it or not, the honest truth is the God of the universe is longing for you to pray. I have a second question to ask you about prayer. Do you know how important Scripture is to your prayer life? Do you know how important Scripture is to your prayer life? I'll give you two reasons. The first I'll briefly touch on because I've taught on it often. Scripture is how God most often speaks to us. 
Scripture is how God most often speaks to us. Ron Acosta talked about this last week. Uh, I, I've talked about it many times. I have told you in all honesty, God speaks to me almost every day. I hear it. I know it. How? Virtually every day I'm, I'm opening up Scripture and I'm reading and I'm listening. And virtually every day I, I understand there's something significant that he has spoken to me from those words. This is how he most often speaks. But there's a second reason that Scripture is so important to your prayer life. And this is the one I want to focus on on this morning. It is only through Scripture that we know who God is, what his purposes are, and how he works. It's only through Scripture that we know who God is, what his purposes are, and how he works. Apart from Scripture, we're left to our own imagination of who he is, what his purposes are, and how he works. And we would tend to create him in our image, apart from Scripture informing us of it. We would tend to create him in our image and think he would be like us. And so it may be that if there's a a critical illness that I'm suffering or someone that I love is suffering, and I pray to God uninformed by Scripture... I pray to God and say, please heal this person or please heal me. And I'm thinking, if I were God, I had power to heal. I love someone. Of course I'm going to heal them. But that's not what God says in Scripture. But what happens if you pray just knowing that, of course, God will and he doesn't? Or suppose that life has been hard and you've been working hard and There's some material possession that you want to get, and it's not a big deal. Most everyone else already has it anyway. And you're praying, asking God to allow you to get this material possession, and you're thinking, well, you know, I'm broken, I'm sinful, but if I were God, of course, of course I would give it to this person. God in my own image, and if God doesn't, what does that do to your prayer life? What does that do to your perspective of God? I'll give you an illustration. When Marie and I had our first date, it was a blind date, it was to a concert and an Aggie football game. When the date was done, I knew three things about her. I knew she was beautiful. I knew that she loved her family. I knew she was easy to talk with. So sometime after the date, I wrote her a letter, and I invited her back to another Aggie football game. And and I waited with bated breath for her to respond. By the way, uh, young folks, this is back in the day. There are only two ways to communicate unless you were face-to-face. One was by phone call. If they were at a distance, it was called a long-distance phone call, and it was very, very expensive, especially if you were a poor college student. The only other way was actually to write a letter with a pen and paper, put it in an envelope, and mail it. In two or three or four days, it would get there, and and that was the only way. Okay, so I had written this letter, and I'm asking her on a second date, and I'm, I'm hoping because I really, really liked her. All of this I've said so far actually happened. But now imagine with me if this unfolded. Imagine that a few days later I get this letter in the mail. It's from Marie. And the opening line is, I can't wait to see you again. Imagine how ecstatic I would be. She's accepted the date. Man, she's she's going to second date with me. And I was about to go to class, and I didn't have time to read the rest of the letter. It was like four pages. And and so I didn't have time to read, but I would get back and read it. And, but then I was getting busy, and it was, God, it was four pages, and, and I'm not much of a reader anyway, and I was really busy, and I'm going to see her anyway. Why read the letter? I'm going to see her anyway. So the, the day finally arrives, the date time, the arrangement place is, is set, and I'm, I'm waiting for I'm early. The time arrives, and she's not there. 
But that's okay. 15 minutes passes, she's not there. 30 minutes passes, she's not there. By an hour, I'm worried. She was driving from Houston to College Station. I'm worried about her, so I finally, I'm going to spend the big bucks to call her house. So I call her house, I get her mom, and I say, is, is, is Marie okay? She says, sure, she's fine. Why do you ask? I said, oh, just, just wondering, and I hang up. And How thoughtless of her. How inconsiderate. She got my hopes up, and I made all these plans, and then she doesn't show up. And maybe I'm beginning to think maybe she didn't have such a good time on the first date after all. And I'm beginning to be disappointed in her character. I'm disillusioned by her. But if I had taken the time to read the rest of the letter, <laughs> began by saying, I can't wait to see you again. But then it went on to say, but I'm working all weekend. I can't come then. But when can we meet? I, again, I'm anxious to see you, and as she would do four pages of that. But, but I didn't know because I hadn't taken the time to read the letter that she wrote to me. You can't miss the analogy, can you? In Scripture is the letter God has written to you and to me. The only way we can know who he is and what his purpose is and how he acts is to read all of his letter and read it again and again and again. Next week, we'll talk about some fresh insights about doing that, uh, how crucial that is. But this is important to grasp this. The lack of scriptural knowledge is the primary source of disappointment and disillusion with God, as well as the erosion of faith. Let me say that again because this is very important to grasp. Lack of scriptural knowledge is the primary source of disappointment and disillusion with God, as well as the erosion of one's faith. So it's crucial to have scripture and conversation interlinked. And again, we'll talk more at length about the scripture side next week. But I want to share with you something that I've learned just very recently that's been fresh and meaningful to me in my prayer life. It's, it's a way to integrate scripture and prayer. I've only done it for a very short time. I almost would never teach on something I've not done for quite some time. But as it turns out, what I've just begun has 500 years of history behind it. Many of you would recognize the name Martin Luther, who lived in Germany 500 years ago. He's known as the father of the Protestant Reformation. In his time, the, the church had begun to go astray, and, and he's the one that God used to, to wake it up and to turn it back on course again. In fact, in nine days, we'll be celebrating the 500th anniversary of, of the event in his life that launched the Protestant Reformation. So he was at his barber one day. His barber, by the way, had um, a sin-wrecked life, but the barber had come to know Jesus. And the barber said to Martin Luther, I'm sure he had no idea whose hair he was cutting. <laughs> He's thinking, God, oh, this priest from a little church with 12 people down the road. No idea. 500 years later, people are talking about this guy whose hair he's cutting. So he says to Martin Luther, he says, teach me how to pray. I, I just don't seem to know how to connect with God. And so this is what Luther recommended. He said, read a verse of Scripture, grasp its meaning. He didn't say a verse of Scripture. He said a phrase or a small portion of Scripture. Grasp its meaning. Understand what it really means and pray with, and then he would say three things. When you grasp the meaning, then, then pray with thanksgiving. If there's anything in that scripture 
that you should be thankful for. Pray with thanksgiving about that. And after you've done that, reflect again on the the substance of that scripture. If there's anything to confess on the basis of that scripture, then confess it before God. Pray in confession. And then finally, he said, based upon that scripture, then make your request about that scripture. So I've begun to do that. I would, let me take Psalm 23.1 as an example for you. It's a verse that is well known. Most know the King James Version, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The New Living Translation says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all I need. David was the author of this. David had been a shepherd. David understood that a shepherd was the protector of a sheep, the provider of a sheep, the, the guide of the sheep. The, the one who would uh, be the caretaker of the sheep, he understood that. And David understood that, that the quality of the sheep's life was dependent upon the quality of the shepherd that the sheep had. And David is recognizing, he's recognizing, but, but the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. The God of the universe is my provider, my protector, my guide, my caretaker is the Lord of the universe. I don't have any needs. <laughs> Every need I have is met because I have him. Because if I actually have another need, he will give it to me. Because the Lord is my shepherd. And so I found myself reading that in profound thanksgiving to God that, that it's true of me because I've trusted Jesus. And many of you, it's true of you that, that there is this provider and protector and guide and caretaker who is the God of the universe. And the reality is I don't need anything else. Profound thanks. But then as I thought about it, I realized how often I forget that and how often I think I have to provide for myself and protect myself and guide myself and I go off on my own. And often the result of that is worry and anxiety and fear and self-centeredness out of that. And so often I begin to think, well, I need this and I need that. And the needs begin to seem to pile up in my own mind. And, and I found myself having to confess to God, please forgive me. How often I forget the truth. You, you are my shepherd. I have all I need. Forgive me for forgetting that. And then my request is today. Help me not forget today. You are my shepherd. I have all I need. Help me not forget today. So I've been doing this with the book of Ephesians. I've read Ephesians more times in the last 30 years than I could ever count. I've studied commentaries on Ephesians. More times than I remember, I have taught on Ephesians, it seems endlessly. But I'm doing what Martin Luther recommended to his barber 500 years ago. I'm taking a phrase or a verse or sometimes two or three. I'm trying to grasp the meaning. And then when I do, then I, I'm praying. If there's something to thank God for, I'm, I'm thanking him. And then if there's something to confess in that, I'm, I'm confessing that. And if there's somebody's request, I'm requesting that, and it's coming alive all over again. Not just the scriptures, but this conversation with God has become electric. So I offer that to you because some of you here maybe have found that 
prayers become stale or old. But you might try what Martin Luther suggested to a broken-down barber 500 years ago. The two questions, do you know how much God longs for you to pray? Do you know how much God longs for you to pray? And do you know how important Scripture is to your prayer life? Do you know how important Scripture is to your prayer life? I want to give you a chance to, to pray these next two, three, four minutes or so. We're gathered as the church, but this would be private time for you to pray to God. I want to give you the chance to, to do what a barber began to do 500 years ago. I want you to take a scripture, Hebrews 4, 16, that says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most. I want you to grasp what that means and then, and then begin speaking to God, praying, having a conversation with God. And first, if there's anything to that in that to be thankful about, thank him. If there's anything to confess about that, confess it. And finally, if there's anything from that you want to ask of him, ask it. So let me begin to pray, and I'll leave it open-ended. We'll leave this on the screen, and I invite you to meet with the God who's longing for you to pray. Father, may we, may we know now, in this moment, you're delighted because we, your church, are praying right now. Collectively, we're praying right now. You're delighted. This is what you long for. But may we know, too, Father, that you long for us individually to have a conversation with you, and we're about to do that now, Father. The joy that you will have, you'll meet us in that. So, Father, here we are coming to you in prayer. In Jesus' name.